Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, October 4th, 2021. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Alaska is leading the nation in COVID infections based on population, with new cases coming in at over five times the national average in the last week. The Department of Health met with state media on Thursday to try and piece together why Alaska is at the top of this undesirable list and why a community like Sitka may have been spared the worst of this current surge. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Alaska averaged 171 cases a day per 100,000 residents between September 16th and 22nd. At the same time, the U.S. average was 34 cases per 100,000. The next highest state is West Virginia, with an infection rate about half of Alaska's. Dr. Joe McLaughlin is the head of the state section of epidemiology. His job is to try and piece together an explanation for what's happening. Why are Alaskans overall so susceptible to the coronavirus right now? There are many parts to the answer. During the early stages of the pandemic, Alaska did a good job at controlling the outbreak, and that may have come back to bite us. Prior to Delta, Alaska might not have had as high of a cumulative incidence of COVID cases as many other states in the nation. So the proportion of people in Alaska who are susceptible to COVID infection might have actually been larger than in many other states. So that could also play into this. Some of the other reasons have to do with our mitigation efforts. In midsummer, just as the Delta variant arrived on the scene, Alaskans, along with everyone else, relaxed precautions around large group gatherings, social distancing, and masking, and have been slow or reluctant to reinstate them. And some of the state's chart-topping success is actually clerical. Alaska had a backlog of cases. The 36% increase in cases reported between September 16th and 22nd is in part due to better data entry. So the very large bolus of cases and deaths reported last week compared to the prior week is in part an artifact of, of just getting caught up. Nevertheless, that's not enough to fully explain everything behind Alaska's race to the top. McLaughlin says the highest incidence of COVID during the Delta surge is among young people who are less likely to strictly follow masking and social distancing guidelines and among unvaccinated children. School testing beginning in August may have improved detection of COVID in young people, pushing up the proportion of cases attributable to this age group. Sitka remains in high alert, but the seven-day average has remained comparatively low. The top three communities for COVID in Alaska last week were Kodiak, the Matsu, and Fairbanks. Kenai comes in at number seven. Of those four, only Kodiak, like Sitka, began the school year with universal masking policies. Fairbanks, the Matsu, and the Kenai school districts all opened with optional masking policies. Dr. Michelle Nace is a staff physician with the State Department of Health. She doesn't think that the connection between optional masking in schools and high COVID rates in some communities is a coincidence. So sometimes there might be a relationship between the um, communities that didn't have universal masking at the start of school or still have an alternate form of the way in which they're approaching masking. And that can be a, a, a part of why those particular communities have a a higher rate of transmission. Over 200 contract healthcare workers are now in the state supporting resident medical staff. 
By Monday, October 4th, that number should be up to 470. They are being positioned at 13 hospitals across the state. In Southeast, they're at Bartlett, Wrangell, and at Sitka's Mount Edgecombe Medical Center. Currently, one out of every five hospital beds in the state is occupied by a COVID patient. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Nearly 500 emergency health workers arrived in Alaska last week as the state struggles with a surge of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. They include state-contracted nurses and doctors, plus a special federal disaster response team, which recently started work at the Alaska Native Medical Center in Anchorage. As Alaska Public Media's Lex Trinan reports, the help arrived at a crucial time. 35 medical workers are stuck under the fluorescent lights of a conference room for orientation at the Alaska Native Medical Center. It's where they'll work for the next two weeks. Most are wearing khakis and t-shirts with bright bold letters DMAT that stands for Disaster Medical Assistance Team. The team was called up just two days earlier, says team leader Gina Smith. We landed last night. We started right away. As you could see in the other room, we're getting an orientation. They're getting ready for shifts, working as physicians in the packed ICU, pharmacists, or even logistics managers. As part of the group, Smith has been to disasters from 9-11 to Hurricane Katrina. Since COVID hit, the team has been on the front lines of the pandemic. We were in California when the cruise ships came in helping with some triage and some quarantine of individuals as well as some medical care for those that needed it when they came off the cruise ships. Now Alaska is on the front lines of the COVID crisis with five times the national average case rate. On Friday, ANMC announced it was operating under crisis standards of care and doctors and nurses say they've been stretched thin for weeks. Smith doesn't like to be dramatic about what her team faces. I don't necessarily con consider it a disaster. I think it's a, a, a huge concern as it is across the rest of the country. But we also see ourselves in coming in when there's a need or a public health emergency. And this is a public health emergency. The team is made up of seasoned health workers who are taking time off their normal day jobs to work in Alaska. And they're not the only ones arriving. About 40 nurses and 10 nursing assistants started working at the hospital at the end of September as part of a state contract. And there are a handful of incoming full-time staff nurses who are getting acquainted with ANMC's IV machines at a nearby conference room. So you hit that, and down here on these screens, you'll see all these options you can choose. So ANMC administrator Bob Onder says the influx of new staff may be enough to give some tired workers a break, but it won't solve the problem since hospitalizations are expected to keep rising. We have you know six to seven hundred nurses here, um, so forty nurses is a a, a, a help, um, but it's as a proportional response. It, it still is challenging. The new workers bring in loads of experience from traveling to states dealing with some of the most difficult times of the pandemic, and they also bring in some new energy. <laughs> Certified nursing assistant Tracy Williams has been to half a dozen states over the past year and a half. She's from Georgia, but she's unfazed by Alaska. I have seen the moose in Maine, so that ain't no big rah-rah-rah for me either. Aside from nursing, she's studying to be a physical therapist, and she's the mother of four. It's hard work, and she's seen some dark things in the ICU, but she says it's worth it. I was in Georgia for three days, well, four days, and I was here by Saturday, Sunday. That's exhausting, you know, but it's the motivation for what you love to do that give you that push to say, come on, girl, you can sleep on the plane. She's hoping to give a boost to her new colleagues here at ANMC, 
and to help Alaska get through its darkest days of the pandemic. Reporting in Anchorage, I'm Lex Trinan. Tribal citizens and delegates gathered on Friday for the Central Council of Plinkett and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska's annual tribal assembly. It's the 86th year of the assembly. The time is used to update tribal delegates and citizens on the past year. It's also when the tribe adopts resolutions and holds elections for its delegates. Right now, there are 119 delegates in the tribe's assembly. They represent tribal citizens and communities throughout Southeast Alaska, Anchorage, Seattle, and San Francisco. Chalthya Ish Richard Peterson is Tlingit and Haida's president. During his tribal address, he talked about its advocacy efforts, tribal businesses, expanding the Tlingit and Haida campus, and how the tribe has responded to the pandemic. Peterson says the tribe is retiring the term service area and is bringing back tribal liaisons to meet tribal citizens where they are. Peterson said, we hope to work with the local tribe to establish and place them there so that not only can they help our citizens navigate our programs, but they can help them to navigate local programs. A lot of people wanted to know more about the tribe's broadband project. Its focus is to provide reliable internet connections to help with education, healthcare, and economic development. Internet access was also a central issue in the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland's keynote address. She says Native communities were left behind long before the pandemic. According to Holland, the pandemic put a spotlight on the disparities that recently, that already existed, including a lack of basic resources like running water, adequate healthcare, and functional broadband. The American Rescue Plan, that's the federal COVID-19 stimulus law passed in March, tries to make up for those disparities. She says it's the biggest investment in Native communities the U.S. has ever made. Holland also says the Biden administration wants to include Indigenous people in discussions on climate change and clean energy. Holland is the first Indigenous person to hold the U.S. Secretary of the Interior position. Delegates say it was uh, momentous that she came to Clinkett and Haida's tribal assembly. No one in that position has ever come to the tribal assembly before. And the U.S. Navy says its operation in southeast Alaska won't increase over the next seven years. It announced on Friday it will continue training and equipment testing in the Northwest Testing and Training Area, which includes southeast Alaska, under what it calls its preferred alternative. In southeast Alaska, that mostly consists of measuring the sound signature of submarines at the Southeast Alaska Acoustic Measurement Facility, or CFAC, in the Beam Canal near Ketchikan. The native says it won't be testing any weapons in southeast Alaska waters and only proposes one or two sonar tests per year at CFAC. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can hear our stories again on our website at kcaw.org.